Just give us one hour, and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about the annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. We love hearing and connecting from our listeners, with our listeners. Follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen or HH Talk Radio, or tweet at us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness, and you can connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. It has been said that organization is half the battle of learning, and yet many of us are so busy in our lives and we are so discombobulated and disorganized that it makes it challenging for us to get our you-know-what together. And we are going to talk today about the neuroscience, what motivates organization, disorganization, and why multitasking is highly overrated and quite ineffective. My guest today is Daniel Levitin. He is the James McGill Professor of Neuroscience and Behavioral Science at McGill University, where he also teaches in the Graduate School of Business and Dean of the College of Arts and Humanities at the Minerva Schools at KGI. He is the author of three New York Times bestselling books, The Organized Mind, This Is Your Brain on Music, and The World in Six Songs. He splits his time between Montreal and the Bay Area in San Francisco, California. Good morning, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Lisa. Oh, I am just delighted to get into this juicy topic because I've got kids. I've got a lot of clients, and everybody is running around like chickens without a head, myself included at times. And really, it comes down to the vast amount of information that is being thrown our way on a daily basis, and we're overloaded. 
We certainly are, and I'm I'm so glad to be talking to you about this because, especially with the emphasis on the heart, because so many of us think that being organized uh, really has only brain benefits, and it's a very brainy kind of thing to do to schedule yourself. But um, the benefits for um, the heart are enormous, and I mean this in the, the metaphorical heart that that if if we can get our work and our uh, leisure time scheduled better. Uh, we actually have more time to spend with loved ones, more time to uh, engage in the activities we really like. And almost paradoxically, uh, we're more apt to be creative and find time for serendipity, spontaneity. Mm. And we know that state of spontaneity, the allowing space for spontaneity, creates happiness. It absolutely does. And I think in this overscheduled and overcaffeinated uh, time that we're living in, it's uh, it's hard to to find the time for spontaneity. But there are a few simple things that each of us can do, non-technological things, very simple, almost obvious, that allow us to recover that sense that we used to have years ago of of being able to squeeze some spontaneity into every day, some creative some creative acts into every day. What happens to our brain on I.O. or information overload? Well, so a couple of things happen. First is that information overload is when we're trying to take in more information than our brains can process. And that's happening to all of us every day. We take in five times as much information today as we did 20 years ago on average. And it's the equivalent of reading 175 newspapers from cover to cover we take in 30 gigabytes of information in our leisure time. Uh, we're processing just enormous amounts of information just to get by. And this causes the stress hormone cortisol to be released in the brain. And that has a kind of cascade of bad events that occur. It suppresses the immune system. It makes us feel uh, tense. Uh, it is the stress hormone. Uh, and it causes our thinking to become cloudy, cognitive impairment. Another thing that happens with information overload is what we call decision fatigue. When you're asked to make too many decisions, at some point your decision-making ability suffers dramatically and you start making bad decisions. Fascinating. About how many decisions do we make in a day? The number is quite astounding, I have a feeling. I haven't read any point estimates of an actual number, but we can walk through it. Uh, and think about it. So suppose that you turn on your computer in the morning and, and there's some emails there. For each email, you have to make a series of decisions. Do I read it now or later? Uh, is this something that once I've read it, do I forward it? Do I reply to it? Do I need to gain additional information before I could reply to it? Is it spam? Uh, you know, already there, we've got five or six decisions, and that's just one email. If you've got 30 emails sitting in your inbox, it can take a while, even if you're working at lightning speed and you can dispatch with an email in 30 or 40 seconds. Uh, it's not a whole lot of minutes put into these 30 emails, but it is a whole lot of decisions. And then when you try to think about something really important, like should I um, put my retirement buddy into stocks or bonds or um, where am I going to take my next vacation or you know things that really are more important. Uh, we find that we're fatigued and we're making bad decisions about them. 
Mm. I would imagine that it's when we add it all up, just in what you've described in a few short seconds, that we're looking at thousands of decisions being made in a day, some of which we're aware of, some of which we are not aware of. I think that's absolutely right. You're driving. Do I change lanes now or not? Do I slow down because of that car ahead of me putting on its brake lights? The the interesting thing, Lisa, is that from a neurobiological standpoint, the neurons that are doing the work of making decisions for us, uh, mainly in our frontal lobes, they're living cells with a metabolism, they need nutrients, and they use up almost the same amount of nutrients making trivial decisions – Like, should I write with a green pen or a blue pen? Or should I use a yellow legal pad or a white pad of paper? Trivial decisions that have no real import take up almost as much neural resources as the really important decisions. You know, I I was just thinking that. As you were describing that, I was thinking, you know, a decision, the brain doesn't recognize the importance of a decision necessarily. Not at a biological level, it doesn't, right? I mean, sure, if somebody were to ask you which are the important decisions and which are not, you could tell them. And it's your brain doing the sorting and the telling, of course. But you're absolutely right. At a biological level, there's no distinction. And that's the root of decision fatigue. There was a very interesting study done of judges who were making uh, rulings on, on cases. And it turns out that the judges began to make rulings that were more likely to be overturned or appealed successfully uh, when it was later in the day, when they had already been through a series of decisions. Fascinating. So the moral is if you get arrested, you want to be the first person. In, if you're innocent, you want to be the first person. <laughs> in exactly. The, if you're guilty, you want to be the last one because they... Yeah. <laughs> That's they a good point. And it's like yeah. with, with surgeons and, and operations that, you know, it's been said you want to be the one that's, you know, first in the morning and you hope your doctors had a good night rest. And and, and while you're on the topic of that, there are a number of decisions we need to make about medical care, and one of them is uh, choosing a surgeon. I mean, at some point in in your life, either you or a loved one, you know, will probably need some surgical procedure. That's that's the way it is. And um, I think part of being organized and having a happy life is anticipating the kinds of decisions you'll be asked to make in your life and giving them a little thought now when you're not stressed out. Because at the moment you hear that you or a loved one needs surgery, that stress hormone cortisol is going to start coursing through your veins and it's going to cloud your decision-making ability. This is mm-hmm. the reason you need to be planning ahead. So one of the most important decisions here is that if you've got a choice, you want a surgeon who's performed the operation 300 times not somebody who's performed it five or six times. You don't want them learning on you, no matter, <laughs> how, much, no matter how much you like the surgeon. <laughs> and it might be the person who initially diagnosed and the person that you're seeing uh, for this ailment. But you need to ask the tough question of who's got the most experience here and the best track record. Well, you, you said something a minute ago about being well-organized and, and, and doing things in advance. And what I really think you're describing is not being completely uh, uh, anal or micromanaging your life, but really making uh, solid organization and plans subject to change, being flexible, and kind of clearing out the cobwebs and dust from our mind, from our closets, and from our lives. I think that's exactly right. Very nice way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> you know, once in a while, I got a good thought. But, yeah. but, but this is really serious because um, it affects our, our 
overall health and the way we live our lives and, and, and our happiness levels. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that. What does organization have to do with longevity or our health or our job performance? Well, there are thousands of ways that humans differ from one another, of course. But one of the most important ones is a factor we call conscientiousness. And that includes things like showing up on time when you, you know, doing things that you say you'll do, being reliable, being organized is part of all of that. And people who are high on this index of conscientiousness, it's a continuum, people who score highly on this tend to live longer lives. And it makes perfect sense. They're the ones who tend to go see a doctor when they're sick. For that matter, they even have a doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. Call, Good point. Right? <laughs> And, and they've paid for their health insurance on time. And, you know, they, they're taking care of their bodies and, and making time for exercise. So conscious, conscientiousness is really critical to life expectancy and to overall happiness. And let's talk about the proverbial multitasking, because this is something that I get into with clients. I get into it with my own children. And I'm like, you cannot multitask. You think you can multitask, but it's not real. You can't, you can't do two things at once. I'm sorry. I was reading an email just then. What did you ask? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. For the fact point. is that multitasking is a myth because the brain just doesn't work that way. Uh, the brain is, a se is sequentially processing a bunch of different things. You pay attention to one thing, move on to the next for three seconds, then the next for two seconds, then the next for four seconds, then you come back around. Multitasking is a myth. And uh, it causes us to have tremendous decrements in performance. We are going to take our unitasking selves to a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation about the power of organization, how it impacts our lives, our relationships, our moods, and our performance. To learn more, please visit daniellevitin.com. On Facebook, the page is daniel.levitin. And on Twitter, that handle is Daniel Levitin. Oh, actually, the Twitter handle is Dan Levitin. Okay. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on T-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Love is in the air, in the whisper of the tree. Love is in the air, 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just tuning in now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it. Share it through iTunes, share it through SoundCloud. We're talking about the power of organization with Daniel Leviton, who is the James McGill Professor of Neuroscience and Behavioral Neuroscience at McGill University. He's the author of several New York Times bestselling books. And prior to the break, we were talking about why multitasking doesn't work. So Daniel, let's 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 tell us tell us more about this. Multitasking really is mythology, right? It is. Multitasking is a myth. It doesn't exist. Uh, Earl Miller at MIT and others have shown that the brain sequentially processes the things we're dealing with. And you've probably noticed this yourself if you're driving and there's kids talking in the back seat and you've got the radio on and maybe the GPS going and then you start looking for a parking spot, what's the first thing you do? You turn the radio down, then you might tell the kids to be quiet, uh, because you realize you can't concentrate on all those things at once. You're not capable of keeping all those balls in the air. The problem with multitasking is that, uh, well, a colleague of mine, Russ Poldrack, uh, who's a neuroscientist at Stanford, found that when you learn information while you're trying to multitask, it causes the new information to go to the wrong part of the brain. So if you're studying and watching TV at the same time, for example, the information from your schoolwork goes into the striatum. That's a region specialized for storing new procedures and skills, not (laughs) facts and ideas. Without the distraction of TV, the information goes into the hippocampus where it's organized and categorized in a variety of ways, making it easier to retrieve. So the the problem is that people think they're so good at multitasking and that they keep doing it. But as a neuroscientist, I can tell you there's there's one thing the brain is very good at, Lisa, and that's self-delusion. So just (laughs) just because we think we're good at it doesn't make it so. Indeed, indeed. Well, it it, it is something that uh, uh, people find very hard to believe because they're trained or led to believe that you can do a lot of things at once. And the reality of it is, in my own experience and certainly in your research, is when you do one thing at a time and pay wholehearted attention to it, you get a better result. That's absolutely right. So there have been uh, workplace studies that show that when people are allowed to try to do their multitasking, you know, maybe doing an email, talking on the phone, talking to a colleague, texting all at once, um, you know, maybe in in another window, kind of monitoring Facebook updates and how many thumbs up did I get for that posting I just made, all of that, uh, people are compared in this situation to other workers who were required to unitask, to do one thing at a time. And at the end of the day, the unitaskers get more done, and their work is judged as being of higher quality and more creative, even though the multitaskers think they got more done. Yeah. Uh, well, the, well the, the multitaskers are like our masters of, of self-deception, right? And, and exactly. the unitaskers aren't thinking about it because they can only do one thing at a time. Right. That's exactly right. Um, what about the impact of 
being organ organized in the background and, and, and being more successful in our pursuits. In other words, I'll give an example. I went to graduate school in midlife. I went back to school and in my welcome packet at my university, they told us to clean our closets, clean out our drawers, organize our offices and get rid of unnecessary stuff in our life. And I thought that was a brilliant primer to return to school. You know, there are different uh, views about this, and my view, I think, is somewhat more uh, forgiving and more liberal. Uh, I don't think that you need to have a clean desk or a clean house in order to be organized and efficient. Uh, it works for a lot of people, but for other people, it doesn't work. And I think the secret here is that there's no one-size-fits-all solution to being productive and to being happy. You have to do what works for you. There are lots of people who – there. I, I would say there's in general two kinds of people, and all of us fall along this continuum somewhere. There are filers, people who file everything away, and then there are pilers, people who just put everything in piles, right? And yeah. you've, you've seen this in, in your consulting, right, that you walk into somebody's office and maybe you can't even walk in because there's piles of binders and papers on the floor, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think, oh, my God, no wonder this person is stressed out. See, I'm in judgment. <laughs> well, exactly. But uh, I've been in situations like this with, with very brilliant people, including you know Nobel Prize winners whose, whose piles seem impenetrable to us. But you, know, you can say, do you know anything about uh, the Mandrake and Shovelhead study from 1982? And they'll say, oh, yes, yes, it's right over here. And you know, they'll pull it out of the the pile, and there it is. They, it's a system that works for them. They know where everything is. They're kind of like archaeological levels of a, you know, geographic, geological time. Interesting, because it's, it was my belief that if you're not somewhat organized, and I don't mean spotless, but, you know, have sort of some level of um, visual clutter removed, that it's very, very hard to be effective in, in your work environment. And what you're saying is the opposite, that it's very individualized. It's what works. Yeah. I mean, some people respond very deeply to the environment, and there really has to be feng shui, and everything has to be balanced. They need a clear desk. They need clear walls. Other people, the clutter doesn't bother them, and some people thrive in clutter. It, it really is individualized. I, I would say, though, you need to be organized. We need to make a distinction. You can be messy and organized, and you can be tidy and unorganized, right? Ah. Tidiness, messiness dimension is different from organized, disorganized. Therefore, we need to have a description of what it means to be truly organized from the expert, Dr. Daniel Levitin. <laughs> well, I would say being organized is having a certain amount of control over your environment uh, your time, your workplace, your social relationships, and your decision-making. And by control, I mean having certain systems in place, both mental and physical, that help you to be uh, deliberately and intentionally, you know, with, with mindfulness and intentionality, deciding what you're going to do when and how you're going to do it. So as an example, um, if you want to keep up with your social world, Maybe you know a lot of different people, and it's harder and harder to keep up with them. Uh, and you might make a list of the people that are most important to you and set calendar reminders. If you haven't heard from so-and-so in a month, give them a call or send them an email or a text. I would say that's one 
one small corner of your world where you can be organized and deliberate rather than letting things happen by chance. Because uh, too often, you know, what will happen is you'll realize it's been a year and you haven't heard from Carla and you really miss Carla. And whose fault is it? And how did that get away from you? So really what I hear you saying is when we talk about being an organized person, right, an, an OP, We'll just call him that. That uh, it's about an a inner professionally experience. organized person, a pop, a pop, right? A professionally organized person, or as you put it, an HSP, which I had not heard that that terminology before, which is a highly successful person or or people. Yeah. Um, that it's the organization is an is an internal experience or setup for how we want to be in the world. It's not about the files on the floor or the clutter on the desk. It's internal, Lisa, and it's also external. So uh, here's here's an example. Suppose you hear, uh, you come home at night and you hear on the weather forecast it's going to rain tomorrow. So being organized means you want to have your umbrella so that your clothes and your papers don't get wet the next day. And you can use the environment to help you here. Go to the closet as soon as you hear the weather report. Take the umbrella out and then put it on the front doorknob. Now, when you leave the house, the environment is reminding you to take the umbrella. You don't have to remember or keep track of it amidst the other dozens of things you're trying to keep track of, like, you know, remember to pick up the laundry, and I have to get milk, and I have to make sure that this bill was paid, and I have to call back Aunt Millie because she left a voicemail two days ago. All of this that you can get out into the external environment, the more of it you can get out there, the better you are, better off you are. And when we are placing... um the reminders on the external environment, we're clearing space in our minds for something else. So we're actually generating, uh, generating real estate to remember the things that are important. Yeah, you're generating neural real estate, absolutely. Because the, the brain can only pay attention to three or four things at a time. Uh, and even that, then it doesn't do a very good job of, of the, uh, the, you know, the balancing all those, so the three or four. So ideally, you're dealing with one thing at a time, whether it's having dinner with somebody and not texting the people who aren't there with you, or whether it's uh, skiing or rock climbing or listening to music. You're immersed in the one thing. You're, you're fully there. I can't tell you how many people I've run into in my consulting business. I'm sure you've had the same experience uh, at the end of the day, they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm at home with my family or friends, and all I can think about is work. And then when I'm at work, I think about all the things I didn't do at home. And you end up being in neither place fully. And I think that's no way to live, and it's, it's certainly antithetical to happiness. Agreed. And hence, the uh, ability to become more mindful, to become more grounded and rooted in the present moment, which mindfulness is the... Uh, a fashionable word these days and a very, very fashionable pra- practice. But really what we're talking about is the ability to be present, to be dialed into what's going on here and now. Absolutely. And that requires that emotional or mental real estate that we were just talking about. If you can put the things that need to get done, um, had to have external reminders, we then have the leisure and space for... Um, daydreaming for wonder for delight for spontaneity for just being i i agree completely and and the one thing i would say is i'm a big believer in list making you make a list of all the things that you have to do you prioritize them 
Uh, and the beauty of that is that if you prioritize the night before what you're going to do the next day, and then when you wake up in the morning, you go through the list, and you make any adjustments you need to make, that when you sit down to do that one thing that's at the top of the list, you'll find you're miraculously undistracted because you know that that's exactly the thing you're supposed to be doing right now. You don't start surfing the Internet or reading your email or trying to see if there's something more important because by definition, that is the most important. Yeah. List, list, list. They, they, they do work. We are out of time, which I cannot believe that we've blown through these segments. So that means you will have to come back and share more because there is so much um, in this organization thing and in our, our, our brains that we can do to improve our lives, improve our well-being, and improve our connection and connectivity with others. To learn more, please visit daniellevitin.com. On Facebook, that page is daniel.levitin. And on Twitter, that handle is at Dan Levitin. And the book, which is a New York Times bestseller, is The Organized Mind. Thank you, Daniel, for being with us. And please come back. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a privilege. We'll talk again soon. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back with more. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Saturday afternoons on 97.5. Joy riding the coast with a global vibe, pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind. Joy riding the coast with me, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Saturdays, 2 to 5, on 97.5. KBU and RadioMalibu.net. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you are just joining us now, we urge you to download this podcast and share it. Why? Because sharing is caring, and we love when our listeners pay it forward. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7 on iTunes and SoundCloud. We are talking about getting organized. 
we are talking about it from a couple different approaches. In the first half of the show, we talked about the psychology and neuroscience of organization and the brain. And now we're talking about the practical approach with Paula Rizzo. She's an Emmy award-winning television producer and founder of the productivity site listproducer.com. She is the author of Listful Thinking, Using Lists to Be More Productive, Highly Successful, and Less Stressed. And she's a girl after my own heart because I am List Mama over here. Good morning. Hello, Paula. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. I love to meet list makers, so I'm glad we're one in the same. Oh, yeah. I am a list maker. I am a, an index card queen. That's how I do my lists. And I want to know how you became an expert on lists. Yeah, you know, I've always made lists here and there, not not to the capacity that I've made them now. You know, I wrote a whole book about it, so uh, I kind of have gone uh, from from one step to the next on the list making. But my dad was a big is a big list maker, and so growing up, I always watched him make his lists, and it just to me it was sort of just a thing that you did, you know. Um, and so I, I didn't really kick it up into high gear, I'd say, until I started my career as a TV producer, because in TV, there's so many things going on. There's so many buckets and, and things you need to be watching and stuff going on. And so lists were really my way to keep on top of everything and be super efficient uh, and get things on the air when they needed to, to get there. And why did you start listproducer.com? How did it go from television production to um, common folk list production? Yeah, so I know, you know, I knew how good it was working at work, but I wasn't really using lists at home as much. And I noticed that things were starting to slip through the cracks a little bit. Um, you know, I was forgetting things here and there, wasn't picking up the things I needed to at the store, coming back and saying, oh, I needed one more thing. Why didn't I write it down, you know? Um, and so the real big thing was that I was looking for an apartment with my husband in New York City. And it's a really daunting task to look for an apartment anywhere, but I feel like New York City is even worse because it's just so overwhelming, so big. And, uh, you know, we would walk in and out of these apartments and I'd have no idea what I looked at. I didn't know if it, what floor it was on or, you know, was that the one that had the hardwood floors or did it have this? So what I did was I approached it with a checklist in much the same way that I would if I'm going out on a shoot because I interview, I go out in the field and I interview people. And when I go out, I always have a list of every single question I want to ask and every shot that I need to get before I come back to the station. Because, you know, it's critical. If you come back to the station without one of those critical shots, you're in big trouble. So I kind of used that same formula for the apartment hunt. And I had every single thing that I wanted to pay attention to when I was walking through the apartment what kind of floors there were, if there was a dishwasher, what, what the view was like, where the subway was all of those things that you think that you'll remember, but you don't. You see something shiny and you get really excited about it, like a wine fridge, and then you are <laughs> off to something else and you leave and you say, oh my gosh, we didn't even ask about X, Y, Z. So I had to kind of rein myself in and, and have this list to be able to go through. And once we started using the checklist, it was so much easier. I just had my guide. I walked through. I was focused. I knew what I was doing. So a friend of mine knew that I was this crazy list person and she was looking for an apartment. So she asked me for my list. She said, where's that, that list that you make? Can I have it? Cause I don't know what I'm doing. So I gave it to her and her realtor thought it was fantastic. So he was like, Oh my gosh, can I have it? I need to make copies for my clients because nobody ever knows what to ask. Nobody ever knows what to look at and all these things. So from there, my friend said, you know, I think you're onto something. And that was four years ago. And that's when I started listproducer.com. Fantastic. What are the most important lists we can make in our lives? Well, I think, you know, to-do list, of course, people know, you know, you need to kind of um, structure your day to have 
some some sort of um, you know roadmap. So I do my list the night before. Every night before I leave work, I sit down and I make a list of everything I need to do for the following day. Because as soon as you come in, 10 other things pop up. Emails are coming at you. People walk into your office. But if you set intentions and you have that um, list of to-dos that you really want and need to get to, then it kind of keeps you on track. Um, you're 33% more likely to accomplish a goal if you write it down. Um, so to-do lists for me are a big one. But I also love... Um, you know, to become lists. So those are like your, goals, your dreams, your aspirations. Um, and, you know, and gratitude lists. I love gratitude lists as well, because sometimes you get in a funky mood, you know, and you're feeling like the world is against you. And then if you sit down, you say, all right, let me just list out some of the things I'm actually grateful for, some things that are, are going well in my life. Let, let me look for those. And you'd sometimes be surprised, you know, when you're really feeling kind of crummy, you can pull yourself out of a bad mood by making that kind of list. What are the biggest list making mistakes that people make? Yeah, there is a a right way and a wrong way to make a list, believe it or not. Um, So one of the biggest mistakes I would say is that people combine every single aspect of their entire life onto one list, onto one to-do list. So I, the fact that I need to pick up milk and that I want to climb Mount Everest do not belong on the same list. So you need to have separate lists for separate goals. So I even have my to-do list at work separated between work stuff and home stuff. Because on the left-hand side, I'll have all the stuff I need to accomplish at work. And then on the right-hand side, I'll have a couple of other things like go to the bank or pick up laundry, whatever it is that needs to happen that is not part of my regular work day. You know, these are other things, you know, remind myself to pick something up or I have a phone call with a friend or something like that. Um, I like to keep them separate because then your brain is able to decipher them really quickly. If you have everything for every aspect of your life on one sheet of paper, it's really hard for you to go through and pick out what's important. So if you kind of do that work before, it makes it much easier. Would you recommend doing like a core dump list and maybe color coding it with highlighters just to get get the get it out of your brain and onto the page to sort of clear things out? Absolutely. I think you have to do that first sometimes, especially when you're super overwhelmed with a project or just, you know, a couple of days in your life are extra busy. Sometimes I'll just write down everything and then from there I'll rewrite that list into actionable items. So this is really great, too, if you are looking to do something really, really big. Like, let's say, write a book. Just putting write book on your to-do list is not effective, right? That's actually not going to Doesn't make it happen. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I know because I had write book on my to-do list for a very long time. But when I started to kind of segment it out and say, okay, what are the pieces of that? What are the things that I can do with the time and the resources that I have today? And maybe it's not write the entire book. Maybe it's just think about the outline for chapter one or copy edit chapter two or whatever. But the small, tiny little pieces that you can pull out of it, that is much more effective than just putting right book and then at the end of the day not doing it and then feeling like a failure. So actually creating small steps for each project for each day or each week, however you want to prioritize the list, but it's making it breaking it down into doable steps. That's one of the things I really hear you saying. 
absolutely. I think if you have those smaller, small wins for yourself, you'll get much more accomplished. You'll start to get the momentum going. Um, and sometimes there are, are things on your list that you can't do. You need somebody else to do that for you. Let's say you're waiting for somebody for a report or something. So people say sometimes, oh, the same things end up on my list and I'm waiting for other people. Well, maybe that isn't the, the end result is not the thing that should be on your list. It should be the piece of it. You should be checking in with that person. That's your to do. Check in with so-and-so about this report, and that's your actual to-do. So then you can cross that off, and then tomorrow, you know, you're one step closer to the report being finished or you understand what the deadline holdup is or all, all of that stuff. There's nothing more satisfying when it comes to list making than that cross-off, right? Oh, when you see best. the whole page <laughs> with the crossed-off lines. That the makes best. me very I, happy. I actually will write things down that wasn't on the list, but that I did so that I could cross it off because it's just like I have, I have to do it. It's satisfying. It really is a sense of accomplishment, especially when there are folks out there that are procrastinators or incubators, depending upon how you want to look at that terminology. But people who have a hard time getting going, that they think a lot about thinking the act of having these small steps that can get crossed off can also jumpstart some momentum. Absolutely. And I'm one of those people. I'm a huge procrastinator. That's my, that's my biggest, yes, 100%, 100%. And I think that working in television kind of snapped me out of that because you really can procrastinate when you have time cues and you have, you know, marks to hit and, and hit times and all that. You have to be ready at 437. If, you know, that's what your hit time is, you have to be ready for that. So doing live TV, I think, took me out of that procrastination mode, but I still slip into it every once in a while. So I will um, give myself short, like mini deadlines where I'll say, okay, you know, uh, I, I need to, to write this script. I'm going to work on it for 10 minutes and I'll time myself for 10 minutes just to push myself to do it. Cause you can really do anything for 10 minutes. Um, and then I'll give myself a little break and, and do something else and then go back to it. But a lot of times, once you've hit that 10 minute mark or even 15 minutes, you just keep going cause you've got the momentum. But if you have it in your head, like, okay, I'm only going to do this for 10 minutes and see how it goes. It's much easier to start makes perfect sense. We're going to go to a break in a minute, but before we do, I'm wondering if you could share with us your favorite apps for making lists. I'm sure there's tons of technology out there and there's got to be one or two that really shine in, in your eyes. Yes, I have lists and lists of these, but um, my favorite I would say is Evernote. I'm a big Evernote fan. Um, it's a great place to sort of have a mind dump, put everything, all, you know, all the stuff on the internet that you want to read and recipes that you want to keep and lists that you need to make. You can dump it all into Evernote and even take pictures of lists that you've written by hand and upload them into Evernote and they're searchable. They can, it searches your handwriting. It's like amazing. Um, so I really, really love Evernote and I really love, um, Wonderlist. It's W-U-N-D-E-R list. And that I love for to-do's. Like to be able to say, okay, I'm going to the drugstore um, and, you know, I need to go to the drugstore, I need to go to the post office, I need to do these things today. Or for a list of the things that you need to buy at the store. So you can do those quick lists. I also like to be able to share my list with friends. So we actually collaborate. So when we get together, we remember the things that we wanted to talk about. It's really effective. It's kind of nerdy, but it really, really works. Oh my gosh, it's the modern pocket protector. We're going to go to a break. <laughs> Paula, Paula Rizzo and I will come back and we'll talk more about her book, Listful Thinking. To learn more, please visit listproducer.com. 
on Facebook, List Producer. And guess what? The Twitter handle is at List Producer. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Wow. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I would not. So good. So Welcome good. back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about getting organized. We're talking about living listfully with Paula Rizzo, who's an Emmy Award-winning television producer and founder of the productivity site listproducer.com. She's also the author of Listful Thinking, Using Lists to Be More Productive, Highly su- Successful, and Less Stressed. And uh, just before the break, uh, Paula was telling us about her favorite apps, including Evernote and Wonderlist. I think those were the two that you had mentioned. And I'm wondering if there's any others. Yeah, those are those are my two, you know, big favorite go-tos. I really love Pocket. That's another one where you can save articles on the internet to read later, and you can access it through the app. So, you know, if you're on the subway or you have some extra time while you're waiting in line, you can fire that up and then see all of those, you know, fabulous things that you wanted to read, but couldn't get to. Um, and so I try not to download too many apps at once because I used to be like this crazy, let me download all of them and I got to try them and let, you know, and I get just so overwhelmed and then I end up doing nothing and not using any of them. So I would suggest for people to kind of incorporate them slowly. Uh, and just because I love an app doesn't mean that it's going to work completely and totally for you. So try it for like two weeks, actually give it the time for the two weeks. Um, and then if it doesn't work, it's not serving you delete it and then try another one instead of just getting, you know, five different apps all at once and then going through and trying to compare them. I think the better way is to just do one at a time, slowly give it a real shot. Um, and then, and then come back to it. A lot of people really hate Evernote. You know, people have said to me in the past, like, I just can't get into it. I just don't get it. I actually wrote a blog post all about why you should give it a second chance because, um, it really is effective, but I think if you're going to use it, you need to start using it on the desktop, on the website first and start putting stuff in there. 
and then use it on the app on your phone. Um, it's just much easier when you already have content in it to be able then to access it when you're out and about. It's just a little easier. Ah. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. What are the most important tools to stay organized and on task at work? It's, I mean, the thing about work is that there are just so many people, there's so much distraction going on. You know, it's really, really hard sometimes to be able to just say, okay, like I'm working on this. Nobody bother me. Like sometimes that's not, that's not really a thing that you can do, you know? Um, so I think just being able to sort of handle those things in a way, um, I've been known to put, you know, headphones or earphones on, even if I'm not listening at any, to anything, just because it's sort of a visual cue. Oh, she's listening to something. Oh, she's watching something. She's busy. I better not bother her now. Um, so I think there's some little tricks and, and things that you can do. Um, and also just to, to set a time limit to some of the things that you're working on. So like I said before, you know, I'm, I'm big on 10-minute work spurts, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes tops um, on things. But I think that if you look at your list and you assign it some time to each task, you'll be able to better attack them because you'll be able to realistically say, okay, how long is this actually going to take me? You know, how long does it take me to write these emails? And sometimes you'll find if you give yourself 10 minutes and you say, okay, I'm going to write back to as many emails as I can in 10 minutes, that will just push you to actually do it. Because you know how that goes. The emails just sit in your inbox and then you just, oh, I got to get back to that one. Oh, that's right. I have to respond. But sometimes those like laser focused little sessions, those spurts of energy with your productivity are the best way to kind of get through all the stuff that you really didn't want to do, but need to. Well, we can't flag everything as a priority. I mean, that's what I sort of chuckle to myself because I'll, I'll get a bunch of emails in and I may be in between clients or in between interviews and I can't get to everything. So I'll flag it, you know, on my iPhone, give it the little orange dot. And then I think, okay, this is ridiculous. And the time that it's taking me to flag everything, I could at least maybe get rid of one to three of them. Right. Exactly. And I have a rule. If, if I can reply back simply with, you know, a yes or a no, you know, a couple of words or forward it to somebody else to deal with, um, I will respond right away. And if I can't, if it takes a little bit more, I'll leave it and I'll do it later. And um, that for me has been really working out. I actually just created an entire program based around email because people have so many issues with it. So it's, the program is called take back your inbox. Um, and it's just, you know, little tips like this to be able to help people to really be able to be less overwhelmed by email because it's one of those things that just keeps coming. And sometimes it's really hard to come back from the overwhelm. Well, speaking of how to manage your inbox, I mean, you may or may not be able to help with this one, but we've got information coming in on sometimes up to three sources, right? We've got the tablet, the phone, and the computer. And if they're all connected up to your email addresses, how do you recommend that one manages all of that? I mean, are there any apps that can help you call what's coming in so you don't um, repeat? You know, if you answer from one source and you delete, can it pull from all the other ones and delete those as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that it, it should all sync up, depending on what kind of email you use. Um, I use Gmail for work, for, you know, for my um, list producer stuff. And then at work, I'm using Outlook because that's, you know, that's just what we use. Um, but it is, I, I get you, it is annoying because sometimes you'll, oh, let me get rid of it on my phone and then it's still there. And it's not, you know, some of that stuff is a little bit um a little bit tough, but there definitely are ways to, to get through the emails. Like, I don't know if you're a big, um, newsletter person. Do you, do you sign up to a lot of newsletters? 
Because I had this I have some, but not a lot. I mean, we send a lot of newsletters. <laughs> we right, send right. one a week. <laughs> right. Right. So, but from the receiving end of that, like I became such a hoarder of newsletters and PDFs and all of these things that I was like, of course I would love a free chapter of this. And of course I want, you know, the, the 10 most best ways to do X and Y and Z. Um, and so I ended up just really having way too many things that were coming at me at all times. And what I, what I did was it was really drastic, but I basically just deleted everything. I, I went through, I looked to see, you know, what, what are a couple of things that I need right now? Um, and I just deleted everything. It was really drastic, but it totally worked because the stuff that really needed to get done, I either had it on my to-do list or people were coming knocking for it, asking me, Hey, where's X, Y, Z, if I didn't remember. Um, and then that way, as I started to get new emails, it was much easier to deal with it. Because it was just one at a time, you know, instead of like one more on top of another one and another one in this whole pile and like 52 unread emails where, you know, that's low for some people have hundreds. Um, But that way I was able to really assess, do I really need this coming into my inbox? You know, am I am I just wasting the space and starting to look at that as more of a sacred space instead of just let me sign up for everything. Let me just, you know, open the floodgates. Well, I think that's a good analogy. Would you open your front, the front door of your house to everybody and his or her brother? No. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just, you know, it, you get into the, into the habit of, oh, yeah, sure, I want that. Sure, I'll, I'll write down my email for it, you know. Um, one of the, the apps that I actually really do like, though, for managing email is called Glance At. And the way that it works is it syncs up with your email and it knows, you know, because you tell it what your who your VIP people are. So you set up all the notifications off of your, you know, regular email. So you're not getting constant updates every time somebody new emails you. Just when your VIPs email you, Glance at will message you, will give you a notification, and it'll give you a little synopsis of what the person wants. I guess it, it kind of screens the email and sees, did they ask a question? Did they send photos? Did they send, you know, a document for you to sign? And so you'll see the person's VIP name, and then it will say, is asking you some questions. And so then that way you'll be able to look at it and say like, okay, this is something that I should probably look at now. Or, you know, send you some pictures that you may want to look at. And I'm like, eh, no, that's probably her vacation. I I don't need to look at that right now. So you're able to sort of, um, it kind of pre-reads it for you, which is sort of creepy, but at the same time, actually really efficient. It it, it it does sound a little creepy. It does sound efficient. And it, it, for people who are receiving a lot of emails, it does crystallize it down to sort of the cliff notes, what needs to be looked at. I have another, another couple questions here. How is it proven that lists make people successful? Yeah, well, you know, once you write something down, you become so much more likely to do it. Just being able to set that intention gets things in motion, gets things going. And it doesn't have to be a written list. It can be something that is, you know, a vision board. I'm big on vision boards. I love to do it once a year. I'll get, you know, my, um, all my magazines out and I'll pull out, you know, pictures and things, places I want to go. Um, you know, my book was on my vision list for a long time. I I put words, inspirational words, all of these things. And then you stick it up there and you look at it and it makes you happy every time you see it. And you just be, you'll be surprised that just by setting those intentions, however small, even if it's like, you know, pick up groceries, you know, pick up milk at the grocery store, just writing that down, setting that intention really sets you in, in motion to be able to actually achieve it and, and do it. 
You know, vision boards, I happen to agree with you. We use them a lot at Harvesting Happiness. I use them in my in my private practice as well because it, it is a form of creative list making. It is a visual, artistic impression of a goal that we wish to achieve. And I, and I agree, it's very, very powerful. Yeah, I love them. I do them once a year right around um, the new year because I always feel like that's a good time to reassess. And that's when people, you know, your list making goes into overdrive. So why not do something creative and fun? One last question, and then we're out of time, and that would be, what is the first non-list, or first list a non-list maker should make? I think you should make a life list. I think that's the best list, because you know yourself better than anybody, and this is the most fun list to make. You just want to write down everything that you aspire to be, and don't think about you know, money or time. Think like there's, there's no object. You know, all these things are, 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 do not matter. Just go, go for it. Anything that you want to do, if you want to go to Greece, you want to go to Italy, you want to, you know, ride, ride a elephant, whatever you want to do, write it down on the list. Um, because you, it's just a fun way to sort of dream a little bit and put it down on paper and then put it away. And you never know what actually may be set into motion just by doing that one little list. I love it. I love it. This has been an absolute delight. The book, once again, is Listful Thinking, Using Lists to Be More Productive, Highly Successful, and Less Stressed. To learn more about Paula Rizzo and her listful living, please go to listproducer.com. On Facebook, that's listproducer, and the Twitter handle is at listproducer. Thank you, Paula, for being with us. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Oh, likewise. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my wonderful guests today, Daniel Levitin and Paula Rizzo, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And a quick shout out of big thanks to our producers who make us shine each and every week. We appreciate you. Go out and make it a good one, whether it's your night or your day. See you again. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on Toginet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Toginet Radio Network.